at the end of the day, this discussion will not be controversial. Actually, it's quite rational to adopt it. I am not a big fan of going back at a time when traveling across Europe was dependent on showing a passport. The digital green certificate could lead to discrimination and to the structural exclusion of, of entire segments of the European population from the free movement area. This would really be a big, a big paradox since the whole idea of the vaccine passport is aimed at reopening borders and restoring mobility to pre-pandemic levels. Hello, and welcome to the EPC podcast, where we delve deeper into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Kastermans, and I'm the head of communications at the European Policy Center. One year after the World Health Organization officially declared COVID-19 a pandemic, there are reasons to be hopeful. In a feat of unprecedented scientific cross-border collaboration, multiple vaccines have been developed and are being rolled out at an increasing speed. But although it will take some time before vaccination against COVID-19 becomes widely available worldwide, governments are looking into ways to safely open up, restart their economies, and resume normal life as quickly as possible. Many, including in Europe, are considering or have been developing vaccine certificates in a bid to ease international travel ahead of the summer holidays. Not everyone is on board. Health experts warn there are still too many unknowns about the effectiveness of the existing vaccines, while others worry about the ethical, social, and privacy implications. After weeks of lobbying from southern European countries, eager to revive their ailing tourism industries, the Commission has said it will prepare a legislative proposal and present its digital green pass later in March. But despite the tentative consensus on the need for a European approach, it seems the member states still disagree on how the EU vaccine pass will actually work. After the reputation damage the Union has suffered due to the slow vaccine rollout, the Commission will want to get this right. At the same time, with the vaccine certificates becoming a potential ethical, technical, and political minefield, the Commission and member state governance will have to think through all possible effects and outcomes. What are the benefits of having vaccine certificates? What are the potential pitfalls to look out for? And what could be some of the unforeseen downstream consequences in the long run? In the next half hour, you'll hear from EPC analysts who will try to answer those questions, covering the topic from multiple angles. Policy analyst Simona Guagliardo analyzes the broader health and social implications. Policy analyst Alberto Horst-Neihardt and program assistant Helena Hahn zoom in on the immediate and possible long-term impact on the freedom of movement in Europe. And policy analyst Andreas Aktudianakis weighs up the trade-offs between the right to privacy and the hunger for data in the battle against the virus. But first, Greek Minister of Digital Governance Kyriakos Pirakakis, who recently spoke at the EPC about how his country has dealt with the pandemic and is using technology to close the gap between citizens and the state, explains how Greece sees the debate on vaccine certificates. My prediction, I have to say, even though... Uh, overall, uh, those are very dynamic times, is that at the end of the day, this discussion will not be controversial. Eventually, uh, the, our belief, and this is why the Prime Minister, the Greek Prime Minister, has suggested this 
as uh, uh, a proper policy moving forward, is that actually it's quite rational to adopt them. Uh, the key debate lies, I think, on three issues. There are three topics of discussion. The first one is how they should be structured eventually as a common European template. This is something which is already being debated within the EU. What types of personal data should be or shouldn't be included uh, in the certificate for it to be commensurate with the GDPR? I think that this is something which we could easily agree upon. Uh, perhaps the social security number eventually shouldn't be mentioned, but your birthday should. This is a debate, let's say, for the experts on GDPR. The second discussion is the technological discussion. You need to have, let's say, an issuance uh, capability of those certificates, but you also need a verification capability. This is something which we have developed in Greece. The key question lies in the use cases. Where should those certificates be used and where shouldn't they be used? Again, a discussion which is very much, I would say, it has the GDPR uh, at its nucleus. In our view, it's non-controversial and it should be adopted, especially when one focuses on travel, uh, on crossing borders. And I think it's easy to rationalize it uh, on the basis of the fact that right now, if you cross the border, perhaps you need to be quarantined or perhaps you need to be tested. So at some point, if you have been vaccinated uh, and once we have more clear medical data on the equivalence between those, uh, let's say, options, or if, you have passed, or if you have already contracted the virus, all of those things at some point should be treated as equals, depending, of course, on the, on the medical specifics in each one of them. But the question becomes, if I have been vaccinated, why shouldn't I be able to cross the border more easily? I would say on a fast lane basis, as we currently have in the airports, rather than not. But for EPC analysts, it's not so straightforward. There's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts to take into account. Simona, I'm, I'm going to start with you, because when we first started talking about the idea of vaccine passports and doing a podcast about this, you said you would prefer not to use the term vaccine passport. Could you explain why? Well, yes. When we first talked uh, about the idea of vaccine passports, I told you I didn't like uh, this term. I don't like the idea of obtaining a passport based on the fact of being vaccinated for a number of reasons, really. Uh, but the main concern I have here is uh, is the following one. I believe that linking the two concepts, vaccination and passports, sends a confusing message uh, as it evokes restrictions to one's freedom of movement across Europe. As European citizens, uh, we do not need a passport to cross borders. We can move freely. Uh, we do not need a visa to travel across Europe. I am not a big fan of uh, going back at a time when traveling across Europe was dependent on showing a passport. For this very simple reason, I prefer talking about vaccine certificates and their purposes. Having said that, I believe uh, that using vaccine certificates for purposes uh, which are not medical ones poses a number of serious questions, questions which need uh, attention and cannot be taken lightly. Uh, associating vaccination with uh, specific rights or benefits, uh, I think it would create a serious divide in society between people who are vaccinated and people who are not. Uh, I think it is premature to make such a link. Uh, national vaccination campaigns uh, are being rolled out at a rather slow and uneven uh, pace across countries. Not 
everyone has access to the vaccine or can be vaccinated. And I also see a further potential risk um, that relates to vaccine hesitancy in Europe. We know that vaccination against COVID-19 has not been made compulsory across Europe. And this is also, I think, because Europeans are amongst the most um, skeptical uh, towards vaccine in the world. Uh, granting freedom of movement or access to services based on proof of vaccination might be a misstep, I think, in building that vaccine confidence that Europe needs to ensure the largest uptake possible. When we zoom in a little bit on the health um, dimension, so the World Health Organization has declared earlier this year that they're not in favor of vaccine certificates for travel yet, saying that there are still too many unknowns about the effectiveness of the existing vaccines. And then there are new variants. It's currently not clear if and in what way they protect against, you know, the South African or Brazilian variants. Could traveling with vaccine certificates leave the door open for these variants to spread more easily? And could it, in fact, create a false sense of security and even lead to new outbreaks? Well, um, I am afraid that uh, creating a false sense of security is exactly uh, the risk we would be running if vaccine certificates were used to uh, to ease uh, travel risk uh, reduction measures. As you said, um, the WHO recommended caution. Uh, and by the way, this is also the recommendation issued by the ECDC, the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. The truth is that there are still too many critical unknowns. Uh, the scientific community, as a matter of fact, is not sure whether, to what extent, the vaccine is able to reduce the, uh, the risk of transmission. And as you mentioned, there are variants uh, spreading across the world. So we know too little, I think, to bet everything on the vaccines alone. I mean, vaccination is a powerful tool, but it is one tool that we do have to counter the spread of, um, of COVID-19. Precaution, I think, and the, the application, the continued application of uh, risk reduction measures, uh, I think they are still crucial to limit the spread. And by the way, they are probably our best allies to ensure the quick and the effective rollout of vaccination campaigns. You already mentioned the possible implications for freedom of movement. Um, Belgium's acting foreign minister, Sophie Bomes, argued on Twitter that while the idea of a standardized European vaccine verification system is a good idea, there should be, and I'm quoting, no question of linking vaccination to the free freedom of movement around Europe. Now, having to prove that you've been vaccinated against a disease before traveling is not new, but vaccination against COVID-19, as you said, Simona, is not yet compulsory in Europe, nor is it already widely available. So how can we then reconcile vaccine passports or uh, certificates for travel within the EU with the fundamental right of freedom of movement? And uh, maybe, Alberto, this is a question for you. Yeah, from a legal perspective, but also bearing in mind the symbolic value of freedom of movement, this is really the, the key question and tension, in my view. And I think that this can also explain why the reservations of Sophie Vilmes are shared by other European leaders. So Emmanuel Macron and the French government, for example, voiced similar concerns. And other than the WHO, the Council of Europe has also uh, said that making international travel contingent on vaccine passports raises ethical as well as legal concerns. So many have argued against creating this link between free movement and uh, vaccine certificates or passports, and I consider their concerns well-founded. 
So to begin with, if proof of vaccination becomes a condition for traveling abroad, those who would like to get vaccinated but do not uh, belong to priority or risk groups and are ex excluded from the slow vaccine rollout against their wishes would be unjustifiably uh, discriminated. And even if the target of vaccinating 70% of the entire adult population by the end of the summer is reached, and many are skeptics about this target, if 30% of European citizens and residents might still not be able to obtain the certificate or passport by then. So we're talking about millions of people who might face structural disadvantages while simply trying to exercise their fundamental rights and freedoms. But this is not all. What about uh, those who are unable to get vaccinated for medical reasons, for, for example, pregnant women? Uh, we should also not forget that children are not going to get vaccinated would families with children then face bigger obstacles when traveling abroad? So members of these groups will not have access to the vaccine and would end up being unfairly treated if a strong link between vaccine certificates and free movement is created. Uh, lastly, what about those who do not want to get vaccinated? So vaccination, as, as you said, is voluntary. And, and given people who got vaccinated special privileges to travel abroad for tourism, for instance, could create the wrong kind of incentives for vaccine skeptics. I absolutely agree with Simona. Also, I think it's important to remember that even in European countries, there are specific vulnerable and marginalized social groups who are more vaccine hesitant. So in my view, it will be absolutely critical that no one is discriminated against for not having uh, been vaccinated or not wishing to be vaccinated. And instead, the digital green certificate could lead to discrimination and to the structural exclusion of, of entire segments of the European population from the free movement area. And this would really be a, a big paradox since the whole idea of the vaccine passport is aimed at reopening borders and restoring mobility to pre-pandemic level. So the, the short answer to the question is that until the vaccine becomes readily available for all those who want it, it will be very difficult to reconcile the passport with free movement. But even then, the Commission will need to come up with a scheme which is legally sound, but is also able to mitigate the risk of discriminatory practices, in my view. Greek Minister of Digital Governance Kyriakos Pirakakis declared at an EPC event in early March that electronic vaccine certificates would only be part of a strategy to resume travel within Europe and that people without vaccination would still be able to, uh, to cross borders, but that they would either have to quarantine or present a negative COVID test. The vaccine certificate would not be a prerequisite to, to travel, but more of an express lane. Could that be a workable compromise? Yeah, so I, I think if we stick to the image of express lanes at airports, for instance, um, say for members of the diplomatic corps, then one can certainly argue that this is a workable compromise. However, as was already mentioned before, it presupposes that everyone will be able to travel, which based on the current situation and our outlook on this summer is not likely. And in public discourse, we tend to focus on those who want versus those who refuse to get vaccinated for a variety of reasons. But we also have to remember, um, as was pointed out by Simona and Alberto, that there are many groups who cannot or may not yet be vaccinated by this summer. And while one of the major reasons behind this initiative of the vaccine certificate is related to southern member states wanting to boost their economies, being heavily reliant on tourism, we also have to consider the long-term effects of such a certificate. We have to consider that there are several new variants of the virus spreading across Europe whose health implications we cannot yet estimate. 
And depending on which variants spread where, which vaccines prove to be effective against them, and how long immunity lasts, we'll see different categories of people emerging as eligible for this express lane. And I think it is really worth asking to what extent the Commission proposal will take this into account. Because in the end, we won't have the same discussion as the one focused on the summer of it, on the summer where we can say that we know, for instance, that the Dutch like to go to Italy, that many Austrians like to vacation in Croatia, and that the Germans like to go to Spain. We won't have the same kind of basis of, uh, of in terms of data or the benefit of just establishing travel rules, whether for tourism or for work, for a limited period of time. And so in the end, I would argue that it is very much a question of who is afforded which privileges under which circumstances. Of course, the idea behind the vaccine passport or certificate is to prove that someone is not infectious. And as you said, there are several ways of going about this. But we have to bear in mind also that it is member states who would ultimately decide who is able to cross national borders. So this will depend on which vaccines and which form of COVID tests they would accept. And this will very likely result in yet another blow to the Commission's call for more coordination within the EU, because we are already seeing that member states are establishing different national requirements. We also have to think beyond um, when I talk about the long-term impact of this. So what would the consequences be for international travel, for instance? And here, I think we will really see a deepening of global inequalities. Vaccine rollout in Europe is going slower than expected, although the pace has been picking up recently. Um, but we will probably be well into 2022 before we see widespread vaccination across the rest of the world. So how will vaccine certificates affect people traveling to the EU, and in particular, migrants and refugees? First of all, I think it's important to specify that it's not clear if and under what conditions the same system would also extend outside the European Union. But uh, there are already bilateral agreements in place between member states and third countries, and it is likely that the EU would try to reproduce its scheme beyond Europe. Uh, and this raises serious questions about how groups that already face greater obstacles to move will be affected. And as also mentioned by Helena, uh, also raises the prospect that vaccine passports will end up reproducing inequalities on a larger scale. You know, as you say, it will take years to vaccinate everyone around the world. And in the meantime, reaching the EU will become even more difficult for many, if not most, non-EU citizens. For, for example, those who will apply for a EU visa may be required to be vaccinated in the future. But we also knows, know that those who can afford or know how to navigate the system in their home countries will probably get preferential access to the vaccine. Uh, and those who are able to skip the line, so to say, at home, would then have privileged or exclusive access to visa and to the EU territory. So using the same scheme at global level could reinforce structural inequalities. And they, there is a concrete risk, in my view, that this could further complicate or even close down legal pathways to migration for specific disadvantaged groups. Uh, refugees would have to deal with the most serious consequences, I feel. Um, asylum seekers and forcibly displaced persons already face lack of adequate access to healthcare in low-income countries hosting them. So with few exceptions, it's very likely that refugees will be the last group to receive the job. Uh, this also means that some persons eligible to be transferred to Europe through humanitarian corridor may be excluded from resettlement efforts. Um, so vaccine passports could, could create an even deeper divide between rich countries and the rest of the world. They could reproduce segregation and, and reinforce vulnerabilities. 
the Commission is going to make its legislative proposal on March 17, no matter what. So proof of inoculation may indeed become the norm for anyone who wants or can afford to get a vaccine in order to travel abroad. But I also think that the vaccine passport, if introduced and extended to the rest of the world, would really become a fitting metaphor for the risk averse, but also profoundly unequal society that may reemerge after COVID-19. Is there a danger that anti-immigration politicians, parties, governments across Europe will use vaccine certificates to uh, justify more stringent uh, anti-immigration rhetoric and policies? I think this is, of course, a very important and a very timely question. Um, But at this point, I don't think we can really say that the pandemic uh, so far has led to any major shifts in national immigration policies. In part due to the pandemic, migration has and continues to be sidelined to some extent. In 2020, um, there were about 461,300 asylum applications uh, that were lodged in the EU, which is a decrease of 31% compared to 2019. I think at this point, it is hard to say um, what we can expect in the future, but this is just to note that there was a substantial decrease um, in, in, in asylum applications. But at the same time, we also have to consider the current situation that many member states find themselves in. There is increasing fatigue and widespread frustration with the respective measures among the population. I would also argue we can see a worrying trend on the level of discourse. As part of our research on disinformation on migration, we saw that last spring migrants, refugees and asylum seekers, um, these categories were being used differently and interchangeably, uh, were all being used by right-wing parties as scapegoats. And we saw a very clear us versus them picture emerging. Foreigners were portrayed as vectors of the virus as well as, um, as unhygienic. Another recent example that I want to bring up was an instance where it was argued that the prospect of free vaccines was very attractive to, quote, refugees from Africa, Latin America, and Asia, and that we could therefore expect to see an increase in irregular migration. These sorts of statements are problematic for many reasons, at the very least because they neglect to consider the dangers of many migration routes and the fact that, of course, international mobility continues to be hampered due to the pandemic. And I think it is very important, therefore, that we frame the discussion around vaccine distribution and free movement in a way that does not stoke fears and thereby does not play into the hands of right-wing parties. As for the long-term impact, we should consider other factors as well. Ongoing conflicts, economic downturn due to the pandemic, food insecurity, deepening divisions and tensions between political or ethnic groups, as well as social unrest, may result in further displacement and movement towards Europe, including of people in need of international protection. And I would argue that it is therefore even more important that the EU continue its efforts in supporting partner countries under the umbrella of Team Europe, and it should also ensure rapid, fair, and equitable access to vaccines to people around the world under the COVAX initiative. Andreas, you are the EPC's digital expert. Uh, How worried should we be about our privacy? Um, Commission President von der Leyen has said that The digital green pass will not only provide information about a person's vaccination status, but will also collect test results, declarations of recovery. The EU would need to collect and store a lot of personal data, presumably indefinitely, or at least until the pandemic is over. So how can this pass be made compliant with the EU's rules, strict rules on private data collection? Now, that is indeed the, an issue, and there's a big dilemma there, because as we see um, 
European citizens feel less secure about their data in 2019 uh, compared to 2017. And uh, the latest European barometer, the Eurobarometer, shows that uh, Europeans, uh, at least 45% of Europeans, want to take a more active role in controlling their data. So on one hand, we see there is a strong desire for more control over your data that uh, is now a trend among uh, European citizens. At the same time, as the years pass, Europeans feel less secure about uh, their data. And now that we are for a long time in this uh, corona context, the pandemic uh, context, uh, we see also that uh, Europeans are actually feeling that uh, Europe is a lot about uh, freedom of movement and freedom of services and freedom of uh, goods uh, in terms of uh, their circulation. We have quite a few dilemmas here that contradict each other because uh, when it comes to controlling the pandemic and uh, collecting the necessary data, this is here the area where data collection uh, and epidemiology, they just can't go together. Because as an epidemiologist, the more data you collect, the more you can understand about the patterns and the, and how movements of people may amplify or not you know, certain trends when it comes to the contagiousness of uh, the disease. But at the same time, people want to have the least possible uh, tracking on their data, right? So we have to be aware about what are the what are the big important confrontations here when it comes when it comes to priorities, and maybe one priority here that would probably uh, act as a bridge in in this gap of expectations and what needs to be done would be to focus on trust. So European citizens, for them to be able to join all these. Uh, different initiatives at the different levels, EU and national level, and to feel secure about giving their data in order to facilitate better monitoring, they will have to trust all the mechanisms that are in place. At this point, with the latest Eurobarometer, we see that there is greater trust in uh, EU-level administration um, uh, managing this, uh, the rollout, which hasn't been extremely successful until now, and we, we could all agree on that. But, you know, maybe this is a bit of a contradiction, but it does seem like European citizens have put a lot of trust at EU level. So we need to bridge this. And um, coming to your question, it is hard to uh, collect uh, data and make it uh, secure, especially when we're talking about data on that is collected on such a massive and broad scale. And this is, uh, uh, as far as data goes, this is as private as possible. You know, we are dealing with a very big challenge here. And uh, if the Commission does not find a way, together with member states, to unroll all these uh, digital uh, tracking, uh, whether it is for uh, traveling or whether it is for uh, contact tracing. If, if they don't, don't manage to do that, then Europeans will have issues of trust when it comes to technology, but uh, also their high expectations about what Europe means to them, whether it is freedom of uh, movement of services and persons, or whether it is they want to have greater control over the data, they will be let down. And if they are let down, then we lose on many fronts. We lose on the front of dealing with the pandemic as it stands at the moment, but also we lose with the important challenges that lie ahead the next couple of years or so when it comes to the digital transformation, completing it, setting the right data infrastructure, and uh, at the broader scale, how to 
you know, compete uh, with uh, other global peer economies that have a very, very strong presence on digital and data uptake has been a success, uh, at least more successful than uh, what we are experiencing now in the EU. But given all of these different elements, do you think that it is actually technically possible to set all of this up in three months' time? I mean, also considering that um, not everyone's expecting that 70% of the European population will be vaccinated by the summer, which is the, the original timeline the Commission set out as well. So the EU also doesn't really have a particularly great track record until now. Its attempt to introduce a European-wide tracing app last year failed. And, uh, and some member states have already gone ahead and created their own electronic um, vaccine certificates like Greece. So will these need to be integrated at EU level? Will that generate the trust that, that you were speaking of before? Or, um, or would the EU have to collect this in, in a parallel database? Or is decentralization the way to go? Is that the way to, to perhaps better protect people's um, data? So there are different ways of uh, managing this. And uh, we have heard uh, experts uh, talking about uh, centralized and decentralized systems. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, when we're talking about contact tracing devices, the Commission was caught up for a long time in the dilemma of whether it should be centralized or decentralized. In the meantime, until we decided that uh, at EU level, uh, as you said, member states had already made some initial steps, in uh, first steps, in creating uh, these uh, data tracing applications. And so with them having made the first step and the Commission still pondering over the fact whether centralized or decentralized, then by the time that the Commission was caught, uh, was late, um, then the issue was interoperability because we had all these different contact tracing apps at the national level and if they did not, uh, uh, um, yeah, if, if data was not cross-matched with a na cross-national databases in a central uh, infrastructure, perhaps at the European level, then it wasn't possible to trace uh, movement of people across member states, so not just within. You know, the need to, for this to be integrated, we can understand this also in terms of how we can help make things roll out. So in terms of how can realistically uh, have the technical solutions in place that can be interoperable and do the job they're expected to do. And uh, as a second uh, consideration, we have to to be aware that the Commission, having uh, delayed with previous tasks when it comes to integrating digital with uh, goals for social well-being, we have seen the Commission being slow before on, on a task such as contact tracing, which seems on the outset as something simpler compared to creating uh, huge databases to cross-match, uh, cross-compare uh, uh, figures from the national level uh, regarding vaccination and also travel. So, you know, the answer here is, first of all, I I cannot, uh, I don't, I wouldn't like to preempt what the Commission can and cannot do. But based on previous experience, we have seen that it was challenging, and uh, if any of the promises are there, not meeting these promises, uh, then it lets down people. So yes, it will be hard to do all these things in three months. Yeah. <laughs> so, and um, like we said before, having to prove you've been vaccinated before traveling is not new, but in the past, people mostly had to present paper documents like um, the famous yellow card. Should there perhaps be a paper version of the COVID-19 vaccine certificate to, for people who want to 
opt out of the electronic version? And what about individuals who don't have the necessary skills or appliances to download and access um, this electronic version? Yeah, well, I mean, this is indeed uh, something that, you know, we should uh, uh, be positive on, on the outset because, you know, having diversity in choice is something that's also very European, all right? As a, when we think about the values and uh, the motives behind uh, uh, making decisions. So if people would like to opt out, then I, I guess they should be able to opt out. But then there is the question of how can you, at a national level, how can you be sure that uh, uh, health uh, is health goals are met when you give uh, citizens options to opt out from measures that are necessary to track uh, this uh, health and uh, well-being crisis. They should be able to be given a choice. They should be given a choice for opting out. But, you know, it is very hard to say what option would be that because essentially here we're talking about whether to go digital or not to go digital. You know, um, we are moving in an era of digital transformation. We are now in the past year in an era where everything has digitalized so fast and so intensely and so you know it's it's a bit unrealistic to think that uh, maybe maybe in the next years from now uh, we will have also options you know based on uh, paperwork and you know more traditional travel documents as in the past at least when it comes to uh, tracking the spread of a disease but maybe at this point because we are still in the middle of a crisis we really want to get as many people with us as possible in uh, fighting the disease and doing what is necessary. So, you know, if at this point we have to allow a greater opt-out for those people that just don't trust, maybe we should. Maybe the commission should. Because right now it is, I guess, about, uh, and I'm not an epidemiologist, uh, it's, a, it's about uh, convincing most of the people to join the trend. And once you have more people on board, then I guess you can... Uh, further amplify this trend by showing, uh, you know, always the positive and also focusing on the trustworthiness aspect that uh, citizens want to hear about uh, uh, when it comes to digital. But maybe can I just also mention, you said, uh, what, what shall we do about those individuals who don't have the necessary skills or appliances yeah. to download and access the app? This is a different case because this is no longer about trust. It's about equality. It's about giving everybody equal opportunities to participate at what happens at social level and at European level. You know, again, this is a very strong link uh, with European values and the kind of Europe that citizens want. It is hard to say uh, what would be the alternative for uh, these uh, uh, more vulnerable uh, or individuals who lack the means to, to be part of this digital transformation. And this is a bigger question because it's not only about the pandemic, it's about how we can uh, bring the whole of Europe behind this digital transformation for the years to come. We know that at least 88% of Europeans consider social Europe to be top uh, in their priorities. They even identify at the personal level with this goal of social Europe. So speaking of social Europe and about making available the necessary appliances and uh, improving skills mm -hmm. for people to use digital, well, obviously here, aside from managing the pandemic, we have to think more broadly about the society and about how to bring people together and obviously here making available the right funds to fund such a transition and to, to fund social programs that will help people adapt, this, this would be a key priority here.
If we look at the wider political implications, member states still seem to disagree. Um, but Commission President von der Leyen has announced that the Commission will go ahead anyway with drafting legislation. So could vaccine passports be the next political flashpoint in the EU? Or is the fact that the Commission is going ahead with this an implicit sign that there's a tentative consensus in the Council? Uh, well, uh, Rebecca, I believe that there is a consensus among member states that uh, an EU common approach is needed. Mm. What this approach should look like, however, this is something different. I think this is still open for discussion. I think that uh, the scars of uh, the go-it-alone approach that we have seen uh, last year when the pandemic uh, first hit, uh, those scars are still too vivid for member states to decide not to find a compromise on this very sensitive issue. Um, President von der Leyen announced uh, that the digital green pass will aim to provide proof um, that a person has been vaccinated or, and I think this is an important or, results of tests for those who are not vaccinated yet. I think it will be interesting to see uh, what the proposal will entail, uh, how uh, all of the elements that we have discussed today will be addressed and uh, how the debate um, will develop. However, um, I think that the process will take time. Uh, the legislative process will take time, but also the technical process to put everything in place will take time. And I believe that member states uh, should use this time uh, to make significant progress in, uh, in their vaccination campaigns. Because at the end of the day, uh, the more people get access to the vaccine, the less concerning and controversial all of this issue of vaccine passports becomes. Now, for a final question, Besides political disagreement, how do you see this affecting social cohesion within the EU, but also within member states? Yes, well, I think that social cohesion is uh, is a key issue uh, here, and Andreas already mentioned it, uh, how uh, important is the social dimension of all of this. Uh, I think that uh, differentiating between vaccinated people and non-vaccinated people across, but also within countries, at a time when uh, vaccination is not uh, generalized yet, uh, this might easily translate uh, into discrimination and further marginalization. And we, we need to keep in mind that we are in the middle of, a, of, a, of an economic crisis. So creating further discrimination and marginalization is not a nice perspective at all. Um, there are vulnerable groups in society uh, who, for different reasons, and we already mentioned that, uh, would not be able to get this certificate. Uh, people with uh, a pre-existing health condition who cannot be vaccinated, uh, people from disadvantaged uh, social or economic backgrounds who are excluded from the health systems, uh, national health systems. Uh, as you see, the risk of aggravating uh, the situation of the most vulnerable in society is, is real uh, and it needs to be taken into account both by the EU institutions and by national authorities. I think that the vaccine certificates should not uh, become yet another thing that increases inequalities in society. And that seems to be something that both sides of the debate can agree upon. To solely and simply facilitate, but I think that this debate, the debate about how you don't exclude overall and how you, I would say, take the, the most vulnerable of society into account is a broader debate. And it's a broader debate, especially as we have digital acceleration moving forward. 
Uh, for us, this is a key concern, uh, especially as new technologies emerge, especially um, as the, econo the economic models of countries are being disrupted by the emerging technologies of the fourth industrial revolution. Because I think this is the more strategic debate, right? It's not about one thing per se. It's about how as the economy is about to change, how as your state is about to digitize and change, how as you are about to start provisioning services in a more digital manner, how don't you leave anyone behind? That's the key question. And anyone can mean many things, right? Um, the most vulnerable economically, socially, uh, immigrants. And uh, in our view, it's an absolute necessity because there is only one way to move forward together. Thank you to Greek Minister Pierakakis and to EPC analysts Simona, Alberto, Andreas and Helena for their insights. We'll continue to follow the debate here at the EPC. You can find the publication Helena mentioned, Fear and Lying in the EU, Fighting Disinformation on Migration with Alternative Narratives, on our website www.epc.eu. Tune in next time. Until then, over and out.